about this Sunday being Trinity Sunday. If you are an Anglican or brand new to Anglicanism um, or, or just you're just here this Sunday, you know, um, we are Anglican and uh, this Sunday in the church calendar is Trinity Sunday, and essentially it's the Sunday that we highlight the Trinity uh, from the scripture, and particularly from Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, which happens to be the great commission. It wasn't, it wasn't a trick question. The great commission. And so we're going to talk about the great commission today, specifically discipleship. Um, But we're not going to talk about the Trinity as much, but I thought with this being Trinity Sunday, I wanted to honor the church calendar and at least say something about the Trinity, okay? And so, um, if you can pop up that that slide for me, Krista. Um, Not that one. Yeah, thank you. Um, And so, just wanted to say a little bit about the Trinity. In verse 19 in our passage today, Jesus talks about baptizing the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And essentially what Jesus does there is he is equating the persons of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit um, as essentially God. And that can be problematic, especially if you're new to Christianity and this whole church thing, because it sounds like we're saying that there's no longer one God, but now how many? Three gods. But that's problematic in and of itself, because whereas here Jesus says the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, elsewhere in the Bible it says that God is one. He's one God. So how do we reconcile this? How do we make sense of this? Well, from this, throughout church history, you had very smart people looking at the scripture, wrestling with it, and what we come up with is this, what's called the doctrine or belief or teaching of the Trinity, okay? And essentially, it is an inexplicable, an unexplainable thing. You cannot fully understand it, but we want to be faithful to God and faithful to his word, so we do our best. And this is quite possibly one of the best diagrams I've seen to to explain it. You may have heard in terms of an egg. How many of you guys have heard that explanation of the Trinity, right? Or an apple or all these things that are really bad and really poor in terms of explaining it. But it shows how difficult it is to explain something as difficult as the doctrine or belief of the Trinity. But this is pretty cool because what it does is it shows that you have the Father is God, The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. While at the same time, there's a distinction, not separation. Okay, it becomes very problematic in theological circles if you say there's a separation in the persons because they're not separate, they're one, but there's a distinction. So it says the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, yet they all are one God. Now... I have just lit this fire in you to really understand what all this is, and that's all I'm going to say about it. So feel free to read as much as you'd like about it. Feel free to shoot me an email. We can have coffee and talk more about it. That's all we're going to say about it today because I really do feel like the Lord is leading us a different direction with this passage. And the cool thing about being an Anglican and going through what we call the lectionary or the schedule of of sermon readings is that I know we're going to come back to this text again soon. So I don't have to touch every aspect of it every time. And so I'm grateful the Lord led me a different direction for this Sunday and prayerfully he would speak to us through it. Um, And so um, I pray that you found that 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 diagram helpful in what we've said. But we're moving a a slightly different uh, uh, direction today as we speak about discipleship. And Chris, I know I'm giving you some some gymnastics here. I'm sorry. If you go to the main idea slide. And this is what I want us to hear from this sermon today is that disciples worship or obey their way through doubt, and disciples make disciples through their obedience. 
Okay, and we're going to make that's going to make more sense as we go through. But disciples worship or obey their way through doubt. And disciples also make disciples through their obedience. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and then we'll pray together and then we'll jump in. And again, I didn't get to say this, but um, welcome to church. And um, if you are a first time visitor this morning, I just want to extend to you an extra special and warm welcome this morning. And we're going to do something a little different because I, I feel like we've already got primed. It's like it's like working. It's like warming up for a workout and then stopping and then having to warm up again. So we're not going to warm up again. But if you are a first time visitor, if you will do me a favor after service, find me. And there's something I'd like to give you and hand to you just to say thank you so much for choosing to worship and be with us here this morning. Amen. Is that sufficient? Or does somebody feel like we have to stop and hand the stuff out now? Huh? Who did it? Rachel. Let me check this schedule here. Oh, it is Rachel supposed to do it. All right. This is what happens when Drew's not here. I have to run around and run around, and I'm not even here in here when things are happening. Thank you so much. I said, we're a team. Thank you, Rachel. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and then we'll pray together, and then we'll jump in. Beginning in verse 16, it says, Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, brothers and sisters. Dear God, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters, my friends here this morning, I am grateful to be a part of this church and this body of believers. Lord, I pray that this morning as we together take a look at your word and as I endeavor to preach it, um, that you would grant us all clarity um, of thought of what is being said. Grant us conviction through your word that it actually gets deep into us and changes us and, and makes us the people you're calling us to be. And again, Holy Spirit, would you just take all of it? And make it powerful. Make it uh, um, do, Father, in our hearts exactly what you've sent it forth to accomplish and do, Lord. Lord, we give you the honor, the glory, and the praise because indeed you are worthy this morning. And all this we ask and thank you for. Thank you, Lord. We ask that you continue to be with Pastor Drew and his family. We're so grateful for the, the sabbatical they get. And indeed, we are praying and will continue to pray for them for deep rest, Lord God. Deep connection with each other deep connection with you, Lord God, and true Sabbath, Father, truly, truly being able to recuperate and rest from all the labor and work that they so faithfully give to us here at this church. We love and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. And so this passage this morning, it comes on the heels of Jesus' resurrection. We've just finished the Easter season, and It also comes on the heels of the religious leaders, those who ultimately handed Jesus over to be killed, of them telling the guards who guarded the tomb of Jesus to tell people that Jesus' disciples actually stole his body from the tomb instead of sharing the truth that these guards themselves experienced from verse 4, where Matthew tells us that they saw an angel come and in great power and might, roll that huge stone away 
and they themselves trembled and fell down. And the Bible tells us that they were as dead men. So, in the background, against this background, the resurrected Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he tells the disciples, he says, to meet him in Galilee at a very specific place um, in the hills or the mountain where they had hung out before. And when Jesus comes to them, Matthew gives us some pretty cool insight into what happens in their hearts and their minds. Matthew says that they worshipped him, all of them worshipped him, and yet some of them doubted. They all worshipped, yet doubted. And this is the first point I want to make. I want to give you the point before we dive into it, and it's this. Worship or obedience, brothers and sisters, there is no true worship without true obedience. Worship or obedience is the prescription for dealing with doubt as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Matthew tells us that they doubted when they saw Jesus, this is fascinating for a few reasons. And the first reason that it's fascinating is because these were the apostles, right? These are those who had walked with Jesus for three years. These are those who had actually seen Jesus perform all these incredible miracles, Right. These are those who who themselves, if anybody knew who this Jesus was, it was them more than anybody on the earth. And mind you, just for a quick note, it says the 11, because we know that the one betrayer of Jesus, Judas Iscariot, he has since now gone. And unfortunately, he has taken his own life, being utterly consumed by grief for what he had done to the Lord in betraying him. But these are the men upon whom Jesus has chosen to build the institution which bears his name, the church. But yet these men doubted. Every time I think about apostles doubting, the first person comes to mind is doubting Thomas. But what we learn in history is that Thomas actually made it farther than any other apostle in his sharing of the gospel. It's believed that Thomas actually made it as far as China. That's a lot to do for a doubter, ain't it? Another thing that's interesting about this, what Matthew shares us is with us, is how it's written in Greek, Greek, which is the original language that the New Testament was written in. Because if you read it in Greek, it can actually be read as, when they saw him, they worshipped, but, or and, they doubted. When they saw him, they worshipped, and... They doubted. In other words, their worship was not without doubt. And I don't want us to miss this, brothers and sisters, because what I think happens for you and me, definitely for me, is that when I doubt something, which happens, it happens, be it about God or the Bible or faith, our inclination often is to sit still and do nothing until God removes doubt. Right? We say, well, I'm not so sure about this church stuff, and so I'm not going back until I am. Right? I'm not so sure about this Bible stuff, how true it is, if it's really the Word of God, so I'm not going to pick it up and read it again until I am. 
Right? I'm not sure that God is hearing my prayer, and so I'm not going to pray again until I'm sure that he is. And friends, I think that this is a mistake. Last week I got to spend some time with uh, one of my teachers. And just to give you some background, he's, he's been doing this Christian thing for a very long time. He's authored about 60 plus books. He's been the president of seminaries, pastor of churches, all these kinds of things. And he shared this story that was actually, actually rocked my world internally. He talked about when his mother died and she lived to be a very old age. She herself was a pastor and a preacher. And he said when she died, he was surprised by how much her death affected him because they didn't have that great a relationship. But to use his words verbatim, he said that when she died, his spirit went into a tailspin. He said that he went into a downward spiral like he had never imagined. And he said in order to lift himself from this, he would read Psalm 51 and he would read particularly verse 10. And he would pray verse 10 over and over. He would say, please, God, renew a right spirit within me. Please, God, give me a new spirit. Please, God, my spirit feels like it's deteriorating. Grant me a new one. And he said after months and months of this tailspin, he said nothing changed. Until one day he said that he went to pray verse 10 again and God showed him something. God showed him that he'd been praying, please, comma, God, do something. He said in that moment, God showed him that the answer he was looking for wasn't found in please, Comma, God, give me a new spirit, but please, God, with no comma. In other words, he had been set on doing nothing until God granted him a new spirit when what he needed to do was focus on pleasing God in the midst of his struggle. I know that's good, Barry. Everybody else ain't with us, but you, praise the Lord, you with us, man. God had shown him that the way out of the tailspin was not to stall, but to please God. Brothers and sisters, I think that um, we have to lean hardest on the Lord when we find that faith in him is hardest. And this may sound paradoxical or contradictory, but please get what I'm trying to say. Listen, what's the purpose of having faith if we stop believing during those seasons in which it's hard to see or believe the things that we've been believing? Is that making sense to you, brothers and sisters? You see, it's easy to believe that God is a healer when we're healthy and everybody around us is healthy. And when we pray for the sick person to be healed and they're healed. But can we still believe that God is the healer when we're not all that healthy and when we pray for healing and it doesn't come? It's in situations like this, brothers and sisters, that faith becomes faith. So if you're struggling to believe in the goodness of the community of faith, in the goodness of the church, as imperfect as this institution is, 
it may be a better idea to look for opportunities to serve and to get involved with the church instead of leaving. If you're struggling to believe that God is hearing you when you pray, it may be a good idea to join Rachel on Tuesday morning for prayer as a group. If you're struggling to believe that the Bible is true and that it's the word of God, maybe you join a Bible study or maybe you join a discipleship group. Because, friends, I believe like it was for the disciples, the answers that we seek and the prescription that God gives for our doubts will be, find as we, will be found as we seek to actively please the Lord even as we doubt. I don't know if it's because Pastor Drew is gone this morning. You guys don't realize that you can respond to me. You can say amen. Or if it's just a hard word, either way. And so the first thing we see in this passage is that there is a prescription for doubting as disciples. But secondly, there is a prescription for making disciples. And Matthew tells in verse 18, he says that Jesus has all authority now. He has all authority. And this is contrasted, if you read it closely, it's contrasted with the authority that the devil has in Luke chapter 4, verse 5. You remember Jesus' temptation where the devil leads Jesus up to a high place and he showed him all in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to Jesus, he says, I will give you all their authority and splendor because it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. And Satan says, if you worship me, it will all be yours. But what we see here, brothers and sisters, is that the authority that Jesus now has through his victorious resurrection trumps even the authority that Satan insidiously offered Jesus during his temptation. And here's the thing about this authority. Jesus' victorious authority is the power behind our work and discipleship. And just as Satan sought to give Jesus authority over all nations, Jesus now has a greater authority over all nations through which he now calls us to make disciples of those nations. And this makes me believe, brothers and sisters, that discipleship to the Lord Jesus Christ, true discipleship to the true person of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the best way to transform a people and to transform a nation. And friends, Jesus tells us that disciples are made through two means. And the first one, he says, is baptism. Now, a lot like what I said about the Holy Spirit, there's a lot that can be said about baptism that we're not going to say today. But I want us to note about baptism here as Jesus lays it out, and this charge to the disciples, these apostles in the Great Commission that Jesus says that their mission, their primary work in his kingdom is to make disciples. It's to make disciples. And he says it by two ways, by baptism and by teaching. But I want to stop here to say something, brothers and sisters, because I think it's important for us to understand. We are called as the church to help, right? We are called as the church to serve those in need, right? 
We are called as the church to provide healing care in every way that we can. To be generous, to be all of those things. But can I say something to you? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only institution. Let me say that again. You and I, those of us who make up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the only people, the only institution charged to make disciples. And so that when making disciples takes a back seat to anything, we are diverging from the mission. So that if any of your service, any of your service is itself a diversion from discipleship or itself is void of discipleship, then you are off course. And Jesus tells us that there are two ways for us to make disciples. And the first, he says, is baptism. And again, there's so much we can say about baptism And today, just as a quick aside, the little piece I'm about to say, I'm speaking specifically to what we've called believer's baptism. Because there's a lot of emphasis placed, and believer's baptism means that after you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you are baptized, as opposed to having been baptized as an infant, which we do both here. So if you need to be baptized or baptize your babies, you're welcome. We can do that. But... There's a lot of emphasis placed on how much someone knows about the faith before they can be baptized. But here Jesus says, baptize, then teach. He says, baptize, then teach. And I believe that this is because of what baptism is supposed to mean for the body of Christ, both both for the infant and for the believer in baptism. You see, baptism, the baptism of a person is that person's initiation into the family of faith wherein he or she will be taught. Um, R.T. France, this this, uh, theologian who I've just come to to love and respect, I like reading him so much, he puts it this way. He says, if the order of Matthew's participles, meaning the words baptizing and teaching, is meant to be noticed, he is here presenting a different model, whereby baptism is the point of enrollment into a process of learning which is never complete. The Christian community is a school of learners at various stages of development, rather than divided into the baptized, those who have arrived, and those who are not yet ready. And if we see baptism this way, brothers and sisters, what we learn is that all that is and should be necessary for a person to be baptized or initiated into the community of faith is faith in the one who has taught all that they are to learn, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've said a lot about baptism here, but what does all of that mean for us today? Because we're not all baptizers, right? Everybody is not out here baptizing. So what does it mean for us today as we just seek to live faithfully in this walk of discipleship following the Lord? Well, I think it means for us that we need to be careful that we are not making it more difficult for someone to be a part of the community of faith than Jesus is to make it a part of his church. Right? Friends, I've been, a part of a ch- I've been a part of churches where you had to be darn near scholars to feel like you fit in. Right? I've been a part of churches. This is not, I'm not making fun of nobody. I'm just telling you what I, this is my experience. I've been a part of churches 
that if you went up and the pastor laid hands on you and you didn't fall out and shake, you weren't a part of them, them folks. Friends, we have to be careful that we are not placing parameters about inclusion to the community of faith that Jesus himself has not placed. Do you believe in Jesus? The one who has died and rose and is coming again. Well, then, brothers and sisters here at Redeemer Community Church, I want you to know that you cool with us. You can rock with us. I don't know if you guys remember that old show Baraka song. You can stand, walk, or dance with us. You can pray, keep the gospel, break bread with us. You know, y'all know that one? I know you know that one. Did you do that one? Maybe. And that might be one of my favorite Christian hip-hop songs of all time. But like Sho said, you are cool with us. And then what comes next is the teaching part. We'll deal with the rest as we walk through this life together and as we learn what Jesus has taught us together. But that's the second thing. We make disciples first by baptism. Secondly, by teaching and particularly teaching to obey. Now, if you're here like me, have you have you ever, you know, I've been reading the Bible a lot since I was 13 years old. And it's always cool when I read it and I notice something that I never noticed before. Does that happen to you? When you read it, that's that part of the Bible that's kind of living and active, right? Growing with you, right? Well, it happened as I was studying for this passage, particularly in verse 20. Because I've always understood verse 20 as Jesus saying, teach all that I have commanded. That's what I always understood him to be saying, but that's not what he says. Jesus actually says that the work of discipleship, the work of making disciples is teaching others to obey all that he has commanded. So that discipleship is more than a mere education or dispersion of knowledge. Discipleship, brothers and sisters, is the process of teaching and being taught how to obey what Jesus says. And not just to know what he says. And this is an incredibly important distinction because, listen to this, brothers and sisters, it's obedience to Christ that makes us his disciples. Don't forget, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, they knew Jesus' teaching very well. And you know what? They killed him for it. James chapter 2 verse 19 tells us that even the demons know all this stuff about God. And guess what? They still demons. The defining mark of a disciple is that they obey what they know. Friends, it's better to have a little bit of knowledge with a lot of obedience than than to have a lot of knowledge with a little bit of obedience. And I believe this is why real discipleship requires life-on-life work. I had a mentor. He will never watch this or anything, so I don't mind saying this. But I had a mentor who would say that he was discipling me, but would also actively tell me I wasn't welcome in his home. I had a mentor who would say he was discipling me, but would actively tell me that He doesn't bring people around his children 
and his wife. It's taken me a long time to be able to acknowledge the level of abuse that I experienced at this particular gentleman's hand. Not physical abuse, but abuse in these ways. And to learn that what he was giving me was not discipleship. Because true discipleship requires life on life. True discipleship involves a disciple watching another disciple putting what Jesus says into practice. True discipleship is learning from example more than learning from mere instruction. You see, it's one thing for you to tell me that I need to love my wife or to love my spouse. It's another thing for me to see you loving your spouse, especially when they are being particularly unlovely, as we all can be from time to time. It's one thing for you to tell me to raise my children in the fear of the Lord. It's another thing for me to see you doing that when they're throwing tantrums and being as difficult as children can be. And friends, this is why it's so important that we keep a close watch on our lives because those who we are called to disciple are. Discipleship is taught way more than it is taught. While folks may learn what to think from what we say, they are learning how to obey by how we live. So the question for us today as disciple makers and as prospective disciple makers is this. How are you doing at obeying? How are we doing at obeying what we know? Friends, I know you read Esau Macaulay's books. I know you read J.I. Packer's books. I know you read Jackie Hill Perry's books and Tim Keller's books. Lord, rest the brother's soul. That was difficult to hear that Tim Keller passed away. I know we've read all the great books, but here is the question for us. How much of all that reading has translated into a life of greater obedience to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what matters. Because that's discipleship. And because that's what Jesus calls us to do. You can come up, Julie. Preaching a sermon about discipleship is somewhat difficult for me for time to, uh, um, not, you know, on Sunday morning specifically because Preaching on something like discipleship infers that you have any idea what a disciple is or what the word discipleship means. And I don't want to take for granted that there may be someone here who does not. There was a large season of life where I did not. There was, as I just shared, there was a season where I thought I was being discipled and realized that I was not. And so the first step to being called a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is a quite amazing, fantastic, and also very simple step. And it's to believe. It's to believe. To believe the simple truth that we are all broken and sinful people. That all of us live in this broken world, and that we are indeed without hope of a brighter future without the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
And what Jesus did as we talked about this idea of the Trinity, God the Son came down, took on flesh. And when he took on flesh, what we may miss is this, is that in that flesh, Jesus took on brokenness. He took on brokenness. He took on this thing that you and I experience just about every day, which is simply this, something ain't right. And when he died, when he died, that was the epitome of the brokenness of our world coming down upon him. But when he rose, but when he rose, that was the epitome of victory over the brokenness in this world. And friends, Discipleship begins by just believing that. And so if you're here this morning you're one, and you were wondering, all this disciple stuff, where does this even begin? That's where it begins. And if we're honest, that's also where it ends. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so if that's you here this morning, you've once believed it, you've never believed it, I just want you to know that you are welcome this morning. You are welcome this morning to come and, and trust in him either again or for the first time. That's what all of this is about.